All right, three, two, one. Uh, so this is it. This is the first episode of Church Jams Now. Church Jams Now. Uh, this is, what is this, TJ? It's, uh, it's the podcast where two current music nerds, former youth group kids, uh, revisit and discuss iconic Christian music albums from the 90s and 2000s. Yeah, so basically I think the idea behind this... Uh, we had this idea that after that meme that was going around of people posting albums that shaped their musical tastes without any context, and you posted the Two Lefts Don't Make a Right but Three Do by Reliant K. I sure did. Yeah. And that was a big one for me, too. That was the first album I bought with my own money, and that just kind of sent us down a rabbit hole, I think, of remembering all these albums that we grew up on. Yeah. From DC Talk to Newsboys to Jars of Clay, Sanctus Real, Cutlass. Ooh. Oh, remember Cutlass was like edgy. Yep. So many interesting bands. It's it's a wellspring, you know? Yeah. And I think we established that there was so much to the conversation that we uh we wanted to bring some more people into it and and just dive in, uh, so to speak. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> all right Stephen Curtis Chapman <laughs> that was good I see what you did there okay yeah so let's uh <laughs> you know since it's the first episode maybe we should go in a little more detail about uh, yeah who who the heck we who are are you Kyle and why do, why do you matter like <laughs> I don't I don't at all but here's the thing so I grew up Started in Texas, kind of moved all over. Uh, always had an interest in music. Started performing in the church Christmas pageant very early. Classic. Yeah, totally grew up in the South. Southern Baptist, go to youth group every Wednesday night, church every Sunday. Mm. Started a worship band in middle school. You know, totally grew up on all this. Uh, went to Dallas Baptist University for a little bit to study music. And have just kind of been obsessed with music and so now you know i play write sing do a little bit of everything and since i was a kid and i first started listening to all these albums since then my i would say my musical tastes and my worldview have changed so much i I, you know i think it's kind of interesting to try to go back and listen to these incredibly formative albums from my childhood and kind of see what we think of them yeah retrace your musical steps so to speak what about you well uh as you know kylan it's it's kind of a running joke with us that uh in some ways i i seem to be almost a a carbon copy or like a a life mimicker of yours um and and going through your your little (laughs) uh story really just cements that for me because like you grew up kind of moving around a lot mostly in texas and youth group kid through and through, Sunday school, Wednesday night youth group, everything in between. Uh, played a lot of music as well. Uh, did the the church plays, musicals, etc. Yeah, really, really did have a lot of um, formative moments with a lot of these albums that we're going to be talking about. 
Yeah, continue to play, sing, write, and uh, it is really exciting to think about kind of delving into this world again and kind of unpacking it as as adults. So I'm stoked. Totally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We should also mention that we're like best friends. Oh, yeah. We buds. We're like super close and we've been playing together for a long time. Years and years. We first met. We first met. Was I still going to DBU when we first met or was that I after think, I left? I think you had just stopped. Yeah, I think I just I just left, but we've been playing together. I mean, TJ has played drums in all of my bands. I played drums in TJ's band <laughs> and we write together. In Dallas, we were part of this like weird incestuous music collective where we all yes. just kind of traded around. So uh, we do have our bona fides in terms of knowing music. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give that that caveat. Yeah, I'm gonna say we're borderline qualified. Yeah, maybe to have this discussion. <laughs> I went to one year of music business school, but you know I think we have an understanding of music, and that's kind of what you know we talked about in sort of the tagline is that we're music nerds. I think music is music is the first thing that kind of brought us together. There's quite a bit of overlap, but we also have very different tastes in music. Yeah. And I think we have different interests in music, which is why I think we get along so well. And I like that we both kind of think about music, not just technically, but this sounds really douchey, but like philosophically. No, you know, it's true. Yeah. Like like music is a really important thing to both yeah. of us. And so basically what I think we're going to do is each week we're going to talk about these albums and then we're going to break them down kind of track by track and talk about all the music nerd stuff, like we'll talk about production and, and you know, what we think of the mixes and things like that, but also kind of tie it all back to talking about the themes of the albums and, and lyrically and sort of how they made us feel. And I think that's, I think that's going to be an interesting take on it, that, you know, the sort of critical analysis that I'm not sure a lot of these albums necessarily got maybe they did but i've been doing some research and it seems like a lot of these bands that were in the christian music scene were just sort of beloved by that by those church groups because they were christian bands and then they were just also kind of written off by a lot of secular places right. you know what i mean like yeah yeah for sure that that also seems to resonate with my experience too that um for better or for worse, a lot of these bands just got a, a pass, um, quote yeah. unquote pass, like because like, it's just Christian music. Like as creatives, they they just kind of got to do whatever, and as long as they were, you know, saying the right things and uh, you know, walking the walk and talking the talk, uh, they got to kind of just create and do things right. and um, play shows, uh, big ones like stadiums, yeah, and exactly, massive churches and all this stuff. Um, so so yeah, you're right. It's going to be interesting to, to... Yeah, like who knows if any of it's any good. I don't remember. Exactly. Like, I have this nostalgia for a lot of it, but who knows if it's if it holds up. I'm just, I'm kind of curious. I think that was sort of the impetus for all this on why we yeah, kind of decided to try this out. And, and the analytical side of it uh, will be interesting to talk about as well as the kind of cultural, philosophical, emotional um, touchstones of, of each album. Um, but on the, I guess on this side of things at the, at the beginning here, 
uh, I'm curious, you know, maybe we can we can get a little background. We can kind of dig into, you know, um, this first album that we're going to that we're going to talk about is is massive. It's iconic. That, it is. That is very true. Um, it's a big one. Oh, oh, before we do that, do you think we should maybe give a little bit of the disclaimer that we're not even though we're going to be talking about these albums in depth, we're not necessarily going to be talking about them from like a theological standpoint ah, yes that's an important that's really yeah we're definitely not qualified to do that i don't think yeah uh, and that's not really what interests us about yeah. these albums uh, right. so we're not going to be looking at whether this lyric or that lyric you know holds up what it says to like a, a biblical standard basis. or yeah we're not right. interested in any of that we're mostly interested in like oh how do those drums sound is that lyric goofy like that's right you know we're thinking about it in a much larger context i feel like yeah, and and on that note, I think an important um, point to make is that, uh, especially just considering lyrical substance, uh, I do think we can kind of dig into lyrical content in albums without worrying about those extra topics. Um, yeah. we can we can analyze the the lyrics from a perspective of does it does it stick with you? Um, yeah, it, well, I think that I it, think that goes back to what we were just saying a little bit ago, like, you know, a lot of these bands just kind of got a pass or were ignored. So I think just, you know, not being hypercritical of them, I think just coming at them as objectively as we can, right? A- as a music nerd. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Just do we like the song? Do we like the chorus? Do we like the line? Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's an important point to make that we're going to be coming at it just as music nerds, just a couple exactly. music nerds. Exactly. Well, I didn't mean to step over your beautiful segue that you were getting no, to. I, I was going to kick it to you, actually, um, because I'm really excited to dig into this album um, to spend some time with it because it's been, oh, years, maybe, maybe years. Decades. Maybe a decade or more yeah, um, since totally. the last time I've heard heard it in in earnest. So yeah, I think it's a great one to kick off with. And I think and so. Kylan, why don't you tell us about it? It's a good first one. Well, if you are just listening to this without reading the title, now you will find out that we are talking about Jesus Freak by DC Talk. Yes, what an album! And then we'll have some we'll have some intro music or something. All right, so let's talk about DC Talk just a little bit. This is where the nerd part of me comes out. I did I did some research. Uh, so just a little bit of context for people that don't know much about DC Talk. Uh, DC Talk consists of three members. Toby McKeon, a.k.a. Toby Mack, who we'll definitely talk about probably at a later date. Uh, you got Michael Tate and Kevin Mack Smith. Uh, so... A little bit about them. The group formed in 1987 while all three members were at Liberty University in Virginia, where I went very briefly online. And apparently, I found out that DC Talk is short for Decent Christian Talk, which I did not know (laughs) my entire childhood. Did not know. Same. I had no idea. I thought I was down with the DC Talk, but I didn't know. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe not so down with the <laughs> acronym. With a terrible name. It's okay. Yeah. Can we just talk about the name for a second? Like, sure. Okay. So I get like they kind of came out, right? They're formed in the late 80s and they started out as basically like 
a hip hop, like a Christian hip hop group. Right. And so I get like in the context of the late 80s, things could be a little goofier, I guess. Yeah, they could be a little cheese ball and it was it was acceptable. Yeah. Or what, I guess what we would consider cheese ball, like maybe during that time uh, that was super normal. I mean, you think about like Run DMC. Run DMC, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, That's what I was they thinking. They have the, yeah. w- the letters D and C in their name too. As yeah. just a silly acronym. Yeah, that's true. So you're right. They were they were not far from their contemporaries creatively. That's true. That is true. But yeah, I also just never questioned it. I never thought about it. Oh, it me neither. It's just like the name of the band. Yeah. But I guess that happens with a lot of bands. Like, I guess a lot of bands have dumb names if you think about it. Like sure. Foo Fighters. Oh, yeah. You too. <laughs> like, like, the okay, Decemberists. Every, I mean, every, everything's made up. Everything's stupid. Like, yeah, I guess it's all made up, man. That's, uh, I'm okay with sorry. it. I know. Me too. <laughs> all right, so let's move on a little bit. This album, Jesus Freak, was released on November 21st, 1995. It peaked at number 16 on the Billboard 200 charts. Ayo. Which is crazy. 16. That is crazy. And in 1997, it won the Grammy for Best Rock Gospel Record. Hmm. I know. It's an interesting category. I know. I was looking. I was looking into it, and that award was actually discontinued in 2011. Uh, but it mostly went to like Christian rock groups that started in the early 90s, and it mostly just went to like Petra and DC Talk. Like basically every year is either Petra or DC Talk. Yeah, Big so, Fish, Little Pond. Yeah, they exactly. Had a exactly. monopoly. <laughs> yeah. So the band broke up in the year 2000. Toby Mac is still. Going strong, releasing albums. Uh, Michael Tate joined Newsboys. That is definitely a band we're going to talk about. Yes. And Kevin Max was also briefly the lead singer of Audio Adrenaline. Oh. Uh, which is another band that we're totally going to talk about. All right. Um, so, yeah, in 1995, just to give a little more context on what was happening musically around that time, the Grammy for Album of the Year in 1995 was Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette. Mm-hmm. Which was a great album. Yeah. I did not appreciate it. I'll, I didn't listen to it at the time because... I had no idea who Alanis Morissette was in 1985. Oh, yeah. I was not allowed to listen to any of that. No. No. Um, also, okay, I looked this up. I thought this was kind of fun. At the MTV Music Awards, the nominees for Video of the Year were Waterfalls by TLC, mm. Basket Case by Green Day, Scream by Michael Jackson and Janet Jackson, and Buddy Holly by Weezer. Oh, nice. Yeah. What a collection. Yeah, it was a decent year for music, man. There, there's yeah. definitely a lot going on, uh, which I think kind of goes into our memories of the album, kind of what, what we thought, what we think it's going to be like, what, what we remember on first listening to it. I didn't listen to it till a couple of years later, but I do find it interesting that DC Talk that kind of started as a hip-hop group that did that sort of like that kind of goofy run DMC Sugar Hill Gang style of rap. Right. I think around this time, like 95 is where you started to have like the East Coast and the West Coast rappers really coming up. Gangster rap is is coming in and people started taking rap a lot more seriously. And I think they kind of shied away from the more fun kind of rap right. for a while. Yeah, more of those subgenres started popping up, and and a lot of them were a little more. There, there was a little more tension, a little more angst, 
and so this style of hip hop and and rap were kind of being put on the back burner a little bit. And so all that to say, I think this album was a really big shift for DC Talk, like because this was like I remember this being more of like a rock record, like a yeah. kind of like a post grunge kind of thing. Like definitely like you know a lot of people talk about how Christian music is a little bit behind. Right. But I think this was actually pretty on trend in terms of what was happening musically. Once again, with like Alanis Morissette and then Nirvana was really big right before this. And, right. you know, I remember a lot of like heavy distorted guitar, a lot of kind of grungy elements, which was, I think, a big change for them. And maybe that's what kind of got them to be number 16 on the Billboard charts. Right. They they sort of found the way that made sense for them to respond to the the change of the plane of the music world yeah. at that time yeah i also i thought it was interesting i found out that toby mack was actually one of the producers on the album and i think yeah hmm. um so i think he it seems like i mean the fact that he is still now what in his 50s and he's still like rapping and performing yeah still cranking it out and i think he has a you know i think there's a little bit of awareness beyond the Christian music scene in terms of who he is. And I think the fact that he's still able to do that, maybe, I mean, maybe he's a great producer. Like maybe he was on, yeah. you know, he knew what was going on. So yeah, I I, I'm going to say that guy knows how to write a song and create hooks and capture a listener. Yeah. Like just in general. And I'm sure we'll dig more into, into, his work and his career as we as we go down the episode list here but yeah uh do you have any i'm curious do you have any uh kind of memories or you know associations that you yeah uh connect this album to so i was a huge dc talk fan i think in all the like the late 90s like my big dc talk album I know we had kind of talked about this before. It was the the greatest hits, the intermission, right? Was that what it was called? Mm-hmm. Intermission. intermission. And funny enough, intermission when it when it came out, that was also my, you know, most like that was my initial exposure to them. And then I went backwards into their discography. But I, when intermission came out, it's kind of funny to think about now. But I, I literally took that as, oh, they're just on a break, right? Like they're getting yeah, back together, yeah, exactly. I was convinced of it in the year 2000. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, DC Talks just just hiatus. They'll be back." But see, for me, I didn't even think I didn't even think of that as like a concept. Like, I guess, you know, I didn't even think about bands like breaking up. And to me, too, like that first album Free at Last felt just as like new cuz I discovered it all kind of at the same time. Right. As like Intermission and Supernatural and like all their like later stuff. But this album in particular, I remember I had the cassette tape and I remember in youth group getting the Jesus Freaks book. Yeah. They like matched the artwork. Oh, yes. Yeah. I remember thinking the artwork was really cool. It was that very like mid 90s grungy kind of sepia tone. Yeah. With like the ink, <laughs> like it looked like wet ink on everything. Yeah. And we haven't looked at the track list. We haven't done any of that because that's something that we're going to do for the second half of the show, but I honestly don't remember what songs are on this album besides Jesus freak. Oh wait, no, no, no. Colored people is on. Yeah. That's on this album too. Sure is. Oh man. 
That's gonna be what an anthem. That's gonna be interesting to talk about. <laughs> so for those of y'all that are not familiar with the song Colored People, I think the idea behind it was right that that we're all colored people. Yeah. I I I feel like the the concept was um creating the sense of unity in diversity. Right. Which I I may be giving them more credit than they're due. I don't know. I want to I want to be optimistic and say that that's what they were trying to convey. And if so, that's that's a beautiful message. Especially, you know, in 1995. Yeah. But I think it's yeah, but I think it's also really clumsy. Oh, it without a doubt. And a little problematic. It is super problematic. And again, I may be giving them more credit than they're due, but there's definitely some baggage with that language for sure. Oh man, I, yeah, I forgot that was on there. That's that's it's going to be interesting to listen to that. Kind of see yes. what our 2020 thoughts on that is. What about you? Give me some context on you in this album. Yeah, so like I said Intermission was my first kind of uh foray into into the world of DC Talk and then I went back into uh their earlier stuff. Um their actual albums. Um yeah, man, I, I've got warm, fuzzy feelings and memories of like waking up on a Saturday morning with my dad just like cranking Jesus Freak. Um, or maybe it was like Sunday morning. Yeah. Like way to church. Going to church. Yeah. And he I think he thought he was real edgy. And and t- to his credit, maybe he was. I don't know. I thought it was real cool. Yeah. You know? As like an eleven year old. But yeah, I uh I've got a lot of fun fun memories with that and like riding my bike i guess i it'll probably become pretty obvious that i i I listened to a lot of music while riding my bike which you know yeah i don't know if that's safe i mean i lived in a small town so there weren't a lot of cars around so sorry like i mean i made it it's 2020 i'm still alive i remember listening to a lot of these on a little the cassette tape and a little boom box in my garage while i was practicing skateboarding nice yeah i was not very good yes i was never very good oh yeah no i mean most of us that went through that phase were not but yeah i uh you know there's some line about a bowl full of jelly yeah no yeah uh, that, he, that sticks out he no 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 he something his belly it wiggled around like marmalade jelly right marmalade jelly that was it you're right yeah and I remember thinking that the that whoever you know at the time I didn't know what they looked like. Right. So I I just remember thinking like whoever the guy is singing this, he's the guy whose whose belly is is jiggling around like marmalade jelly. So I just thought that the singer of DC Talk, and I thought it was one person, right. was this big dude with a big belly. So I was a little disappointed when I finally saw what they looked like. That's really funny. But also, okay, I, now I'm trying to think about that line though. It's gonna be interesting to think about the context of or that line in context with a song called Jesus Freak. Right. Like what like what does that mean? What what does that have to do with Yeah. And it but it is memorable. It is it, it is. is very catchy. It is something it definitely paints a picture in the that mind. We now remember <laughs> twenty five years after the fact. So Yeah man. I can't wait. I think there's gonna be a lot of lyrical what the heck moments. Yeah. Like where we're just sitting there listening to it and our, our our jaws just drop yeah over and over again like what did they just exactly say? what um so now uh, basically what i think we're going to do um 
you know, we're still trying to figure out the structure of this show and how we think it's going to go. But we kind of settled on this idea where neither of us will listen to the album beforehand. And then we will take a break and we will listen to it separately. And we will take notes. And essentially the second half of each show is going to be us breaking down each song and talking about our notes, whether it's things we noticed lyrically or production wise, things like that. And then give our final thoughts. Right. Does that make, that make sense. Yeah. And so if you want to do that uh, along with us, Jesus Freak is currently on uh, most music streaming platforms as far as I'm aware. I know it's on Spotify. Or Um, you can maybe find it on cassette tape at a church garage sale. Best of luck. Uh, But before we do that, I know you, TJ, have a question that we both need to answer. Yes. Right. So along with the... uh, the, the re-listen and the kind of evaluation phase, we will be deciding, Kylan, if this album holds up, if it's great, um, if we still love it, or if it's not so wonderful, maybe uh, it didn't really stick, right. didn't really land with us. So I've broken that down into a cute little catchphrase that we like to call flop or bop. So, in part one, we will each be deciding whether we think the album, before listening to it, will be a flop or bop. You know, is it great? Do we still love it in 2020? Is it hooky? Is it catchy? Does it have some resonance lyrically, maybe? Um, How's the production? All the things we're going to break down. Emotional resonance as well. If so, maybe it's a bop. If not, if it's not so hot, maybe it's a flop. Cool, I like that. So... Kylan, will Jesus Freak by DC Talk be a flop or a bop? You know, honestly, I think it's going to be a bop. Yeah. I have a good feeling about it being a bop. I think kind of based on the things we were talking about and, like I said, what was kind of happening musically around that time, all of my Mm -hmm. memories of the album, I think were pretty in line with, like, what was going on. Yeah. So I think I think it's gonna hold up. I think there's gonna be some weird moments, like like we said, but I think it's gonna be a bop. What about you? I I'm gonna agree. I think it'll be a bop, especially from a production standpoint. I'm I'm really curious to see what 1995 sounds like yeah. through the lens of DC Talk. Yeah. Um, but I'm kind of excited to jump into that. Me too. But I think it's going to be a bop. I think it's, I think there's going to be some fun tracks and uh, it'll be a, a really cool journey to go on. So I think so. Hey, everybody. Kylan here interrupting the show to tell you a little bit about our Patreon. Um, we decided to go ahead and start off with the Patreon because it's a pretty cool way to keep engaged. If you like the podcast and want more church jams now this is the way to do it um we've got tons of stuff planned uh some super fun ideas and i'm just going to walk you through really quick some of the tiers and some of the rewards that we're offering so if you subscribe for only two dollars a month to our the anatomy of tear in cheek tier you'll get episodes a week early without any ads we don't have any ads currently except for this one so you won't have to hear my annoying voice trying to convince you to do it You'll get them all a week early, and for two bucks a month, that's not bad at all. But if you bump it up to five dollars, we got our five dollar Iron Frenzy tier, 
You'll get episodes a week early, plus bonus episodes. We're planning some really fun things, doing some commentaries like on the Newsboys movie that was super crazy. I think I've got some video of me performing in Christmas pageants and things we're going to talk about and possibly even do the same kind of analysis we do for Church Jams now for other albums that were out at that time that weren't necessarily Christian albums. We've got some pretty fun stuff planned. Then for $10 a month, step up tier the microphone. You get bonus episodes, all of that good stuff. Plus, we're doing a thing we're calling Cover of the Month Club, where each month for members that do the $10 tier, we're going to put up a list of potential songs that we have talked about thus far in Church Jams Now. And we're going to put it up like a poll, and you get to decide. And me and TJ are going to record a full produced cover of that that you're going to get. And it's going to be pretty rad. We're going to do that every month. And lastly, for $20 a month, the OC Super Tier, you get all of that. Plus, we're planning on doing a live show once a month where we're going to play music and do a Q&A and just a super fun hangout. We're pretty fun guys to hang out with if we do say so ourselves. Plus, tons of other bonus things that we're coming up with daily. So if you think that's something you might be interested in, go ahead and head on down to patreon.com slash churchjamsnowpodcast. All right, let's get back to the show. All right, and we are back after we listened to Jesus Freak by DC Talk. Man, oh man, are we back. We don't want to give away how we felt about it. I will say, though, that this was not what I expected. Nope. Based on my memory of this album. This listen, like, I had a very different perception of what this album was. Yes. Yeah, the thoughts and feelings that I had upon listening back both times that I just listened back to it, were so different from what I thought I would feel and think and from what I experienced as a kid listening to this thing. So massively different. Yeah. There, there's a lot of stuff from this album that I just had no recollection of. Oh, yes. There were some surprises. Like a lot of moments, a lot of songs and stuff that I just had zero memory of. Yeah. Lost to time. And some of it was... Baffling, to say the least. Yes, baffling's a good word for it. Yeah. So, before we give anything else away, because we don't want to let people know, uh, although we might have, whether this was a flop or a bop, uh, we're going to take this time now to go through, you know, we'll go through the whole album track by track and kind of talk about our thoughts, what we thought about it production-wise, music-wise, things like that. Break it down. So, in the words of Stephen Curtis Chapman, let's dive right in. <laughs> Wait, was that the album we were supposed to listen to? I got something for you, man. All right, so what do you think of this? The first track is So Help Me God. Yes. All right, what are your initial thoughts on this? Man. I'm going to start Yeah, go ahead. real quick and talk about this intro. Talk about it. I love it. I love the super like phaser guitar and the distorted vocals and that like that tape effect. It feels very of the time. Yeah, it really does. I thought it was a great way to start an album. Like it gets you hooked right away. You're curious like what's going to happen. It is very reminiscent to me of like Korn mm-hmm. or a lot of other new metal. Yep. 
But I think it, it's an interesting because, you know, this comes right on the tail end of the grunge movement and the very beginning of like the new metal movement. Right. So I think it it's got that kind of like 90s hard rock vibe. Yes. Which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, they definitely come out guns blazing on this one. Um, and yeah, it's just really interesting. I... I, I don't know how to feel about the ba 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 kind of stuff, but it it yeah. definitely locks into your brain. Um, like everything yeah. about that kind of intro sequence on on so help me God kind of just right. sticks with you. Um, yeah, I thought I thought the rest of the song too, which this might be something I will probably bring up again and again. Um, the rest of the song doesn't really fit. With the intro? Yes. Seems like a totally different song. Um, the rest of the song feels super, like, gospel-influenced. Yeah. You know, like, you listen to that, it's got that walking bass line, the super tight snare. Right. You know, with the crazy drum fills, feels very, like, not like traditional gospel music, but you know what I'm right. talking about, like... Contemporary with like mo- gospel Contemporary rock. gospel, yeah. Yeah, yeah Definitely. Um, which which makes it kind of a like a head bobbing jam. Like I, yeah. you know, I found myself kind of grooving along to it. So I'll say I enjoyed like listening to this song. Um, I did too. I thought the chorus was super cheesy. Yeah, lyrically, because the only reason I say that too is like in comparison, the lyrics on the verses were really good. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wrote down. I think my favorite line. Daily taking up the cross has brought its share of splinters. <laughs> like, I mean, that's like, that's a pretty solid line. Yeah. It's, it definitely borders on hokey, but I think like. Definitely. But I think it still works. But it feels like, it feels of the time too. Like, okay, going back to like the new metal thing too. Like some of the lyrics, like infected by the skin, I'm in this starving with desire. It, yeah, I get it. It's like cheesy, but it feels of the time. Yeah, for sure. That wouldn't be out of place in a lot of other music right? in this era. Also, I got to say, that guitar solo toward like two-thirds of the way through, it, it kind of yeah. shreds. Like, it's so good. I wrote, I wrote down Lenny Kravitz solo. Yeah, it is. Question mark. Yes. That's what it feels like. You got the wah. You've got the like, it feels very, yeah, it's a pretty solid guitar solo. Yeah, yeah that was fun. I will say as well, though, toward the end it feels a little long it does feel very and long. at this moment i'll go ahead and assert that i i think a lot of these songs just go a little yes. too long me too i have that on almost every song yes i have the node this is good this is way too long yeah it is like one of them i have the song is three minutes too long <laughs> which could be a whole other song yeah i totally agree but one thing uh, this is another thing that I'm probably going to bring up again and again because the biggest thing that I noticed about this album, whoever is playing bass on this record is freaking oh, killing it. Oh, they're killing it. Yeah. The bass line during the verse, I think, on this song especially, like, stuck out to me. And, yeah, the whole, the like, track to track to track, like, tearing it up. To me, the bass is the most solid, the most consistently solid thing throughout the entire record. Yeah. It is so good. Yeah. It keeps everything kind of driving and moving on. I remember thinking uh, during that part, the kind of the the verse where Toby's like 
rap talking. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember thinking like, Toby, shut up. I'm listening to the bass right now. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Mr. Mac. Overall, it was it, it was an okay song. It, yeah. It's a good album starter. I feel like it's got the high energy. Yes. Solid track one. Kind of brings you in. Gives you the idea of kind of what we're in for, maybe. Right. I don't know. We'll right. see. But it definitely, it definitely like the energy is high, which is good. I think. Yeah. For an album starter. Um, also, side note, I think it's Toby Mac that at the end says something about walking into I what I think he's saying a meet and greet. Just walked into a meet and greet and everyone's staring at me, but I don't know if that's what he's saying. I have the lyrics pulled up. Okay. I just walked into a meet in three. What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I thought that was weird. That is weird. It does feel like a lot of times uh, when he does his sort of like rap talking thing, he's mostly focused on words that rhyme yeah. versus words makes that sense. make sense together. Yep, which, you know, for better or for worse, ask Toby. Speaking of, for better or for worse, you ready to move on to track number two? This is one that I know we had talked about. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) all right. Track number two on this album is Colored People. Mm -hmm. I think I have more notes on this song than any other. Yeah. What did you think about it? Well, let's just talk about musically at first. This intro. Love the intro. Yeah. Super 90s. You got that shimmery acoustic guitar. It feels very like Third Eye Blonde, Collective Soul. My wife brought up the great point that it sounds like a super chill, bare naked ladies song. It kind of does. The whole, the whole song kind of does. Yep. Uh, which I like because BNL is totally one of my favorites. Yeah. yeah. So I'll start with that and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick it over to you and... and I want to get some thoughts from you on this. Well, for one thing, I don't know why they were counting at the beginning, other than I guess that's a thing that sometimes people did, especially in the 90s. Like, that seems like a thing that, for some reason, people just got away with putting that in a song. Like, oh, what time signature is this song in? Okay, let's count to that number. (laughs) But 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 I will say, sort of as a counterpoint to that, as a kid listening to this song, I felt real cool counting along with them. Oh, totally. For some reason, just yeah. counting with a, a cool rock band makes you feel cool. I think, I guess one of the main points that I uh, hooked into with this song is that um, I decided to watch the music video. Oh, nice. I don't know if that was a good or bad idea, but I can say that the video lines up with sort of some things about the song that were a little uh-huh. uncomfortable for me. Yeah. You know, the idea, I think, that they're getting that they're getting at in this song is like diversity is beautiful and finding right. unity in diversity and beauty in diversity. And that's amazing. I love that. Um, and the song itself and the music video has some, some issues because the representation in the music video is okay. Yeah. But it's still like mostly white people and okay. That's yeah. lining up with the song. <laughs> like it's mostly, it's mostly the white dudes in the band singing. Um, Michael Tate sings a little bit, but like it, it just feels a little heavy handed. Uh, see, that makes me, that just makes me cringe yeah, it, inside it's, hearing that. It's really yucky, man. And like some of the, the ideas that they're pushing feel a little forced both in the video and in the, right. and in the song. 
And so it's well, like it's okay, like the so, idea was good, but the execution was like horribly clumsy. Right. Well, I, I think that basically describes my feeling of this whole song. Yeah. But I had a thought about it. I don't know, because I guess I was so young when this came out. Right. I would like to get a little more context on like, has culture just changed so much and so rapidly? Was this seen as really progressive in 1995? Or was this also seen as clumsy and awkward? Then, because, okay, from right. the lens of 2020, I think I, you know, I wrote down like, it feels fake woke. Yes. You know, like it feels like it feels like a song mostly like for white people by white people that it's like, oh, I have a black friend, so it's okay, I can say this. But it feels very much like it's trying to like lift a little bit of white guilt. Yeah. I know. It it feels very well intended, right? But not necessarily realistic in what it, it was trying to accomplish very clumsy i think like yes. like you said yeah like, clumsy execution and i guess like an idea that i land on with this song too is that intent and impact don't have to be the same for there to be an issue right i don't know i i don't like want to project onto any anyone but like in the music video there's a couple shots where I, it sort of seems like uh, Michael Tate is just like kind of rolling his eyes. Like, <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> almost as if, like, well, this isn't great, but it's probably the best we can do right now. But it's better than nothing. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Yeah. Cause I was like, another thing, it felt like the whole song was sort of like that idea of, oh, I don't see race. Yeah. Which I think ultimately doesn't do these issues justice right by saying like i don't see race means you know you're kind of erasing the fact i mean that's like this is a whole yeah conversation whole that i don't know if two white dudes in oregon are necessarily nope. the people to have this conversation nope. so we might back off a little bit but i will say most uncomfortable lyric for me in the entire album comes is the first line of this song yeah pardon me your epidermis is showing yeah pretty bad that's the way they start the song. Yep. And it's weird because it, it turns into like a compliment. He He's like, I see the beauty in it. But like, it doesn't feel like that's where it's going. So every time the song starts, anytime you hear this song, you, you, right. you get a little uncomfortable by it. It start, Yeah, it just starts off on a weird foot. <laughs> and then it just keeps going on weirder and weirder feet. See, like, see everybody, we're, we're saying it's cool. We're, see, see, get it? It's yeah. cool. <laughs> I mean, also just, okay, the fact ignorance has wronged some races and vengeance is the Lord's. Oh, yeah. Feels very uncomfortable. Wow. Oh, one other thing in this song, too, like from a production standpoint, uh, that kind of drove me a little crazy. This was like the first track I really noticed it in, but where there's just like one short rap line. Yes. Like Toby Mac just doing one quick little thing. Because I don't know if maybe he felt like left out, but like not every song needs just four bars of rap, rap talking. rock talk. Yes. Yeah. And I really think that that happens again and again throughout the album where I'm sorry, Toby, but he shows up and I'm like, what are you doing here again? Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, 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 it became clear to me around like track three or four that I yeah, really yeah. appreciate Tate's vocals. Kevin's are okay. I don't like, okay, well, I was going to get into that on the next track. I don't like 
Kevin's vocals. Yeah. I do not like them. Well, they're very, like, affected. Like, he has a sound uh-huh. that he's going for. Uh-huh. And I think, for me, it's kind of like, take it or leave it. But I could totally see how it would just turn you off. I didn't realize how much it drove me crazy until this listen on this album. Yeah. But uh, speaking of Toby Mac, I think that is a great transition. I think we're done with track number two. Yes. I think this is. I think that's a good point because track number three is the title track, and I think this is mostly Toby Mac's song. Yeah. What do you think about this one? So I got to say, first of all, oh, I think what will people think when they find out what I think about this song? (laughs) I think the key change is super jarring, to be honest, where it goes from that initial like acoustic uh, guitar playing the riff and then it changes into the full blown like intro. Yeah. Okay. I talked about that too. All right. I'm glad we have a lot of similar notes. I do love the intro though. It feels very Nirvana, very like smells like teen spirit, that grungy kind of thing. Yes. But you're right. I've noticed, okay, this was also a trend in in the album too. The intro to the verse, the chord change is really weird. Like every verse starts on a really weird chord that you don't expect. It's almost like it doesn't start on like a minor six. Sorry, this is getting maybe too nerdy. But it starts on like a minor three of whatever like key it's in. It's super right. weird. It makes no sense. And my my songwriting sensibilities are are equally weird. And so like when I hear something like that, I don't necessarily hate it, but I do notice it. And I think, oh, this is strange, um, which ultimately I think can be a plus. Like it can it can make for a strong song whenever it's kind of pushing back on those like traditional chord structure ideas. And so I don't. I don't hate that about this song, but you're right. It is very odd for, especially for like a single and for a, and for like a album title track. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Also speaking of, um, kind of themes throughout the album, Mm -hmm. I think this is a good time to bring up something that I noticed over and over again. And that's that there's a lot of, um, what I'm going to call the first fire syndrome where the first verse is like really strong and like really interesting and then, like, yeah. the rest of the song kind of falters or Just deflates kinda, yeah. a little bit. Totally. So, like, separated, I cut myself clean from a past that comes back in the, my darkest of dreams. Been apprehended by a spiritual force and a grace that replaced all the me I've divorced. That's great. That is really good. Yeah, that's, like, super solid. Like, I don't know which one of them wrote that, but it's pretty good. And then what follows is the line that we talked about in part one. Yeah. Um, I saw a man with the with a tat on his big fat belly. It wiggled around like marmalade jelly. Yeah. And then it goes on to talk about how he's like watching this guy who's like a street preacher, I guess. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I say you just go ahead and just read that whole first verse okay. out. Or just read that all out. So I saw a man with the tat on his big fat belly. It wiggled around like marmalade jelly. It took me a while to catch what it said because I had to match the rhythm of his belly with my head. Wow. Jesus saves is what it raved in a typical tattoo green. He stood on a box in the middle of the city and claimed he had a dream. What what the hell does that mean? I just don't know. <laughs> is is he saying that this guy's really cool, but you still kind of call him fat and like sort of point him out as are you re- relating well, to wondering... him as a Jesus freak and you're saying like, "Yeah, I see you, man. I am too. It's cool." 
Like what? Yeah, but that one just seems really like judgmental. Yes. Like everything about that seems super judgmental, especially when you compare it to the other rap verse where he basically talks about John the Baptist. Right. And it is it is odd. It's like, are you are you on the side of the Jesus freak or are you not? Are you identifying with this person or are you critiquing them? It's very mixed messaging. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I like that. I like I like that term though, the first fire syndrome. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of that throughout this album. There is. Yeah. Also, uh later in this song that that like really atonal guitar line on the bridge is like very yeah. kind of Nirvana as well. I love it. I super love yeah, it. Yeah. It's cool. That's like one of my favorite parts of the record. It also feel okay, this sounds bad. It reminds me once again of that like corn, yes, limp biscuit, yes, kind of like it's it's that stepping stone between grunge and rap rock. Yeah. But I love this super like dissonant, weird bridge kind of area. Like I thought that was super cool. Yep, I dug that. Once again, another song with great bass throughout. Yes, true. My least favorite part of the song was once again Toby Mac towards the end. Doing the repeating thing. People say I'm strange. Does that make oh, me a stranger? Oh my God. I was my g- best friend was born in a manger. <laughs> I was going to say something about that too. So it's starting to make more sense to me now why as a nine-year-old. Yes. I related to this because it sounds like something a nine-year-old would write. Completely. It appeals to like kid Christian brain. So much of this. Yeah. But it's also so catchy. Yes. It is. And that's I think that's why Toby Mac got got away with a lot of the songs that he wrote and and in this album a lot of the parts that he wrote. It's so catchy. And, and it just gets stuck in your brain whether or not it makes any sense at yeah. all. Yeah. I mean, Marmalade Jelly, man. Marmalade Jelly. That that's something We're still talking you know, about I've it. remembered for exactly. <laughs> um one thing I thought though, I thought on this song Compared to some other songs, it seemed like to me, and we'll talk about it more as we get into the other tracks, right. but Michael Tate's voice was way too clean on this track. In what way? Like there are some other well, there are some other tracks on the album. Um, I'll have to look through my notes, but there's some other ones where he he does more of like a kind of scratchy, like more natural raw sound. Mm. And so I thought it was weird that this was like one of the tracks that he just did like super clean vocals because this seemed like the one track of all of them in which you're kind of you, you should do the more, more raw yeah yeah right i thought that was a weird a weird production choice i didn't catch that but now that you mention it you're right it is kind of strange it's almost as if he had to back off on that because like toby was was like full bore. It was so right. He's kind of like, oh, I, get, I, I thought it would have worked better. Oh, it, I yes. thought it would have worked better if it was like completely. It would have, but no doubt. So if you're listening, DC Talk, please go back in time and change that. Thanks. Yeah. All right. So we ready to move on to track number four? Yes. Track number four is "What If I Stumble." What if I stumble? Okay, so first off, I gotta say that little quote, I don't know who it is, but the little thing about Christians claiming Christ but not living that way and it like being unbelievable yeah. to unbelievers, 
That is some shade, man. They just slapped that at the beginning of a track, and they're like, oh, I'm just going to leave this here. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that was interesting. I also thought this was a super weird choice for a song directly after Jesus Freak. Yes. Super weird. Yes. The album just takes a complete 180 in terms of sound, in terms of... Because you did have... Okay, because you started off with the high energy of So Help Me God. Right. You had a little bit like colored people is not not quite a ballad. It's it's, it's like a hand wavy kind of like mid tempo kind of like you two like a big anthemic kind of song. Right. And then you had Jesus Freak, which is like real heavy, real crazy driving. And then this way drops off into like a weird Italian villa sound Campfire. with like the classical guitar and like the mandolin. Yeah. Like what is happening yeah. in the song? There was song? actually a mandolin solo if I if I remember yeah. right. <laughs> Very strange. I apparently wrote this sounds like a love ballad, a savage garden love ballad makes me want spaghetti. <laughs> I just saw them like on a set with a bunch of smoke. I don't know why. Right. But I think like satin shirts. Yes, satin shirts for sure. This is another example of the uh first fire syndrome. Is this one for the people? Is this one for the Lord? Or do, do I simply serenade for things I must afford? You can jumble them together. My conflict still remains. Holiness is calling in the midst of courting fame. Pretty meta. Yeah, yeah. You know, like on this album that like blew up, he's like talking about right. what what are my intentions here? What are my motivations? Right, exactly. Pretty cool. And then it kind yeah. of falls flat a little bit to me. Lyrically. Yeah. Also, this is another song that is way too long. Yes. Agreed. I don't know. I think this had the potential, too, to be a much better song if the production was just changed. Yeah. Agreed. I think you could have done a more, like, straightforward guitar, drums, bass with, like, a little bit of keys. I don't understand. I guess I'm just trying to wrap my head around why the Spanish or Italian, like, classical guitar yeah. and accordion sound seemed right for this. I don't I don't understand it. I feel like this was where they got left alone in a in a music studio on their own for a while and, and just started poking around with random instruments that they didn't really know yeah. how to play. And they were like, hey, this sounds cool. And then... Or this, honestly, though, too, this is more in line with, I think, worship music around this time. Not necessarily, like, rock music, but, like, the sort of Amy Grant, Rich Mullins, like, this is definitely with the chimes. The chimes, I also wrote, the chimes are dumb. (laughs) Yeah. Chimes are dumb. (laughs) Don't put chimes in a song. Yeah, it was over the top every time. But, yeah, it seemed very much more early 90s worship music. So it seemed like it was kind of taking a step back. Which maybe they were afraid that after something like Jesus Freak, which within the Christian community probably seemed pretty transgressive, that maybe they tried to back that off. But then they also have, okay, Toby Mac does not need to whisper rap in every song. That's exactly what I said. This song especially. I was like, his his whispery rap panning back and forth is really annoying. It is. It's bad. I don't know why it it does not fit. It does not fit within the song Honestly, everything else that we've been talking about I could forgive all of that if there was no whisper rap. Right. Yeah. I could I could get by. I also wrote the accordion at some points is terrible. At some points, quite catchy. <laughs> yeah, right? I know. So, I mean, this this was this song was just kind of bummed me out. Yep. If I'm being honest. It just felt lazy. It felt Especially like with they that weren't quote at the beginning. It's like, huh. 
moral high ground. And then like worship fish song. I don't know. A little weird. Exactly. Yeah. And then I think, I think just musically, I think just going back to that sound, like rather than trying, because even from their first album, I feel like they were usually trying to like move things forward. But I do think it feels like it was a move that was made because they were scared. Right. It didn't feel like an artistically brave move. No, they were. Whereas Jesus Freak, for for all the problems I have with it, I think was. Yeah, it was. It was. A I daring, think it was like creative, was a daring choice. artistic statement. Yes. Yeah, and colored people for all the problems <laughs> I have, the myriad of problems I have, to a certain <laughs> extent, may have been that as well. Definitely a lot more than what if I stumble. So far, right. what if I stumble? <clears throat> total dead yep. for me. All right, moving on. All right, that leads us on. To track number five, day by day. Mornings with God before I hit the grind. The subtleties of darkness never cease to amaze as the physical world creates a spiritual I gotta say, man, another another trend that I that I saw happen a few times in this album uh, are just songs mm-hmm. that like seem like they go off the rails and stay off the rails from start yes. to finish. And this is a prime example. Oh my god! Yes, one hundred percent. That's exactly what I wrote. Okay, so it, here are my notes. Great intro, super chill. Reminds me of trip hop. Yeah. Then it goes into a weird Dave, Mas- Dave Matthews band. Right. And then I started to write something else and interrupted it to write, what the f*** happened? <laughs> yeah. I literally wrote WTF as well. What happened? What happened on this I, song? It started off great. I don't know. I don't know. I think, yeah, I wrote reggae question mark to Nirvana question mark to ska slash disco question mark it, it, it it's almost like they couldn't figure out if they were like chilling out or if they were like raging and just like really ticked right. off about something i know okay but this is the song too this is the first one where i thought uh michael tate's voice listen to his voice on the day by day part yeah like that's the kind of vocals that i wanted for jesus Freak. right a little more rock and roll right a little like more gritty. it's a little yeah but also, what is this? What is this song? It's got that like organ line, the whistle thing, and it's just like do 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 do, just like yeah. plodding along, and then all of a sudden it's like this up tempo, like yeah. What is happening? Like the the verse and the chorus sound like two totally different songs, completely different. And the chorus sounds like this is very specific, but I'm hoping it makes sense. To me, it sounds like, and I totally mean this all offense, please be taken. It sounds like the second song that plays in the credits of a 90s teen movie. Yeah, that's that's Like after the big wrong. triumphant sound, it's the one where our, you've already seen, they already did all the bloopers right. and then it's just the regular credits. Yeah, the, This is the song that plays. Yeah, the employee's like sweeping up the popcorn at this point. Exactly. Yeah. It's so innocuous. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean anything. No. Lyrically, it doesn't mean it. It yeah. doesn't say oh, anything. Man. So the doesn't... chorus, the 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 lyrics are three things I pray to see thee more clearly day by day, to love thee more dearly day by day. And this is the cringiest lyric maybe on this album for me. To follow thee more nearly? <laughs> no. 
No. No. Nope. Shut it down. Go home. Shut it down. You don't get to say. Uh, this is also, though, this is one of the few songs that uh, was not written by a member of DC Top. Is that right? Like, they obviously worked with songwriters, but this one was written by John Michael Tebelak and Stephen Lawrence Schwartz. Well, that makes me feel a All little bit better. All the other ones at least are, are partly credited to Michael Tate, uh, Toby McKeon, or Kevin. Man. Kevin. Um, yeah, this is bad, though. This is really bad. Also, when the bridge comes in at the end, it's like, I wrote, Earth, Wind, and Fire? The Police? Steely yeah. Dan? Two-Door Cinema Club? <laughs> it's like, I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. It was all of those and none of them. Yeah. I will say, though, another song, freaking great bass. Yeah. <laughs> great bass line. Yeah. I, I loved the bass throughout this whole record. That was my absolute favorite part. I hope whoever plays the bass on this album like ha- has had an incredible career because they deserve it. <laughs> yeah. It was hard to find anything good about this song, if I'm being honest. Oh, I also watched the music video for this one. Oh, this one had a music video? It sure did. Uh, about four or five songs on this album have a music video. Man, you did way more research than I did. It features a scary warehouse that they're all in, an actual rat running around, and Toby <laughs> Mac in a cowboy in hat and, and a leather jacket. Uh, some oh sequences are in black and white, yeah. Of, of course. Yeah, it's wild. Oh, man, oh, man. Yeah, off the rails, man. Start to finish. Off the rails, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Well, I'm glad we're finally getting to it because I know we didn't get a chance to, well, we didn't want to, but we didn't talk about this album before we got on mic. Right. But I remember texting you at, like right when I finished it and I was like, I cannot wait to talk about this because this album is insane. It's nuts. And I'm glad to hear that you have the, the kind of the exact same experience. Yeah. I, I think that's a perfect analogy. It just goes off the rails and then just stays off the mm-hmm. rails. Completely. And that explains the next track actually quite well. Well, I'm Catherine Morgan. And I'm the next door neighbor to the goatees. And uh, the goatees were over there and they had a drummer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) What do you. So, Mrs. Morgan is the next track. And. Okay. I love the production. I love the idea because this is very big at this time with like. East Coast rap, like all, like doing the skits, right. like De La Soul did that a lot. Like, like there's a lot of bands. Wu-Tang did that a lot. Right. That was super big at the time. Yeah, and it's fun. And I get like DC Talk started as a hip hop band. Here's the problem. This is not a hip hop album. Right. And so what does that, what is the point of this? This does not need to be on this album at all. Well, as a counterpoint, the whole thing is about them having a drummer and the drummer being loud, right? So for context, if right. you haven't heard this, it's them interviewing, I guess, a neighbor? To Is is that right? Do I have that right? They're interviewing like a neighbor so, of yeah. the studio named Mrs. Morgan, and she's like yeah. complaining about the live drummer that played from morning, right. noon to night. Like she's like, I had him for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> and um, Yeah. and I mean, it's funny. I loved oh, it. I thought it yeah. was it's super really funny. funny. But like it almost maybe is is like saying like yeah it's not a rap album we had a live drummer we're a rock band yeah which again clumsy yeah. execution i'm not i'm right. not trying to defend it no that's interesting <laughs> yeah i didn't think about that yeah but ultimately where i land on this is like i just feel real bad for mrs morgan like i'm with her they need to get some better soundproofing or like <laughs> send the drummer home <laughs> yeah yeah 
Poor Mrs. Morgan. If you're out there somewhere, Poor we, Mrs. Morgan. we feel for you. So that's, you know, Mrs. Morgan is basically the halfway point right. of the record. First half, super weird. Super weird. Very up and down. Lots of things I love. Lots of things I did not love. And and part of me thought, like, it couldn't get any weirder. But I was wrong. You were so very wrong. And that leads us into the second half, starting with track seven, Between You and Me. Sorrow is a lonely feeling. Unsettled is a painful place. I've lived with both far too long now. Since we parted ways. I've been wrestling. All right, this sounded very Savage Garden to me. Very like mid 90s euro pop definitely like super chill i thought the song was pretty solid honestly definitely definite like boy band vibes yeah i thought it was good background music but it was ultimately pretty forgettable hmm okay uh what'd you think of it well yeah i wrote india slash oasis yeah okay so we had kind of the same like the euro pop like that's what i was thinking like savage garden yeah kind of thing like yeah very atmospheric like i feel like this would play this would play in like a spa yes it also sounds like a movie credit song to me yes definitely so definitely. whether you're walking through the spa or out of the movie theater after i don't know born identity seven mm-hmm. yeah uh I, I i would say this is another example of first fire syndrome uh the first verse was totally. a little stronger and then a lot of it was a little more forgettable and there is, uh, yet again, there is a music video for this song, Kylan. Goodness, really? Yeah, it's very strange because um, basically it has... Yeah, I didn't watch any of the music videos. Yeah, they just went nuts. I should have. Um, it's it's Michael Tate sitting in a laundromat uh, reading a newspaper. And he's kind of like the narrator, sort of. He's like singing along. And then um, Kevin Max is going on this crazy chase scene kind of adventure with these guys following him and he's like holding a shoebox and so he's like hiding something i guess and he doesn't want them to get it okay it's very bizarre weird i honestly don't have much more to say about this song um except uh more gray bass yes and this is the song that i talked about earlier that is three minutes too long yep i've been listening we've been listening to about two minutes right now and it feels like i've been listening to it for 15 for most of my life yeah yeah, it's way too yeah. long. Also, way too long. cringeworthy lyric, offense is unresolved, will keep me from the throne. Before I go to him, my wrong must be atoned. Uh, Just a little well, too heavy-handed there. I don't know. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> oh, oh, and then halfway through, the Spanish guitar well, comes in again. Action. They love that, like, <laughs> that classical Spanish guitar, man. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know why. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot, a lot while also being nothing at all. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Ready to move on to track number eight? Yes, let's. All right, this is track number eight. Like it, love it, need it. Under these circumstances, they can hardly go. Notice their fleeting glances and their lack. All right, I'm going to go ahead and say it right off the bat. 
This is my favorite song on the record. <laughs> but it does not fit on this record at all. Not at all. What is this? This is this is it sounds like Weedus. Yeah. It's like straight up like teenage dirtbag. Like it's very pop punk. Yes. But I love it. But also, why is it on this record? Yep. It's both. It's great. And what is it doing here? Yeah, the first little part, I was just like, is this Weezer? Like, I don't know. Right, but it sounds exactly like the Teenage Dirtbag yep. song. I'm just a teenage dirtbag. Dirt yeah. Yeah, very like the vocals. Uh, so who is singing there? I don't know. I couldn't figure that I out. I didn't look that up. I, I should have looked up liner notes. I guess we should have done more research. Yeah, then. amateur hour over here. For real. But I, I, I put this again in the off the rails category, to be honest, just because yeah. it like it really the song is again sort of uh, having an identity crisis throughout. Definitely. And that's again, that's not necessarily the worst thing, but it is very strange. It, well, it is weird, too, when it's every song on the record basically kind of does that. Yeah. Like it makes it feel less intentional. Right. And more just like we didn't know what we were doing. So we threw this in. Also, yeah. um, uh, I, I got a little weird with this one because uh, at the point that he says despero, um, <laughs> again, that's super cringy. And it made me think of like, uh, like there's singing about a cereal, like have a have a box of despero's like it, love yeah. it, need it. By the end of breakfast, you'll wish you had a second box of despero's kids. <laughs> But I mean that also goes in. He has a line: "You'll never find your find your peace of mind in your lucky charm." Yeah, maybe maybe that's that why. Cereal. Yeah, maybe it's subconscious. They're trying to sell cereal in 1995. Yeah, uh, but once again, dude, way too long. Way too long. Three minutes too long. Three minutes too long. Yeah, I don't know. It just seems like listening to all this. Every song on this album, okay, we go from 4 minutes, 40 seconds, 426, 450, 506, 430, 459. This is 523. I mean, there's no songs that are are under four and a half minutes on this record, which feels weird to me. But you know what? And you have over half the record is over five minutes. All the, the songs on half the record are over five minutes long. Yeah. Um, it makes me think about something though, thinking back to like the nineties and early two thousands, it was, it was like standard operation, um, to, to write a song that's four to five minutes long. Um, yeah, like, but like four minutes I get four minutes, I get five minutes. I don't. Yeah. Because for radio playing and stuff too, like that's like too long. Oh, it definitely is too long. And I guess I'm speaking from a like album, um, like a quantitative album perspective, not a radio pop hit perspective. Right. Um, those definitely yeah. do need to be shorter. Uh, but it it was almost like a like a sign of artistry, I think, back then. That like, well, if you yeah. can't write a five minute song, then it's not worth writing. Um, but the problem is, in trying to do that, it it created a lot of just like blah content. A lot of flab. Yeah. yeah a lot of fat from this record could have been cut. Yep. Uh, but also maybe not. I don't know because the record also clocks in at just like an hour. Right. It's right at like fifty-seven minutes. Thirteen songs. Two two of which are not really songs. Yeah, which but, we'll get into in a second. Yeah, once again, this song is way too long. Uh, one other notable thing is that weird bridge, dude, where he kind of raps and does the weird funky bass, again, like, like the corn, 
<laughs> yeah, or like Goldfinger, like ska kind of pop punk. Yeah. Like there, it's just super weird. Oh, and I love and the it, rap though. rock vocals over over it are like very Beastie Boys kind of. Yeah, yeah, just strange. It was fun though. Yeah, I, I like. I was I was picking it, was it up, fun. picking it up, I picking also... it up. <laughs> yeah, so I think that's all I got for that. So track nine. Yep. What track nine is Jesus Freak the reprise? Reprise, man. Reprise? Reprise or reprise? Yeah, either way. All right. Once again, super funny. Yeah. But super unnecessary. So, like, I don't understand how I'm supposed to feel listening right. to this. Uh, do you want to explain do you want to explain what it is real quick if people haven't listened to it? It's it's a version of the Jesus Freak chorus. The chorus. But it's done in this like over the top, almost like operatic uh style of singing as if it's like at a like a revival or something yeah that was the feeling i got like and i can't tell who's singing do you know who's doing those vocals i don't know no i don't <laughs> but it goes off off but key it, <laughs> a couple times yeah like on purpose I and guess. i think it's meant to be funny like it's meant to be funny yes. i feel like right yeah, i think so he like asks if somebody came in from shelby county it's yeah. it's like he's addressing the audience and I, yeah it's bizarre it also feels weird to me too that because i i tried to figure out why they like why they included it as track nine right. and included mrs morgan as track six like if almost they were like ways to break up the album yeah but i can't for the life of me figure it out i i think they just had this extra stuff and just threw it in yeah. for no reason. Yeah, I kind of think this is like their sense of humor, like them kind of winking and being like, this will be fun. Um, yeah, it feels super unnecessary. Yeah, though. it's bizarre. Also, f just feels weird to laugh at because it's like, right, like this is the world you live in. Are you making fun of it or not i i don't know it's it's interesting it's like right well especially like yeah well yeah i mean thinking about that specifically singing jesus freak right i don't really care if they think that i'm a jesus freak and maybe that's the idea but then if you are supposed to laugh at it like it feels i don't know it feels really disingenuous yes it, it reminds me of, of that verse in jesus freak where he talks about the marmalade jelly right. and he wiggle around it's like what like what side yeah what are your actual are you intentions on? how do you actually feel about this yeah right. there's a little lack of authenticity in it yeah or at least that's the perception i have it's interesting yeah it is all right so let's move on to track number let's 10 in the light All right, 
that acoustic is great. It is pretty good. That's a great intro. It it is reminiscent of a lot of like later worship music, like kind of Chris Tomlin, Matt Redman, yeah, kind of thing. A lot of bands started to do yeah. that, but I like it. I think I think it's great. I think it's a solid start. Mm-hmm. I do not like those symbols. The little splash. Oh Symbol. yeah. Ugh. Well, this whole song too. I said it reminds me of Tarzan era Phil Collins. Yes, right? I wrote Phil right? Collins in my notes on this track. No, you did I not. Did, we are the same. Up. That is great. Yeah. We're so glad we're I best said <laughs> same, buddy. I said not not absolutely straightforward, but it's the song on the album that is most the way I remember it. And then I wrote right. yeah. dot, dot dot Phil Collins. Yeah, right. But specifically like the Tarzan era, yes. like doing the soundtrack for Tarzan. Yeah. This sounds like it could be on a soundtrack like Completely. that. Another credit song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's, you know, I think this is like a, a fairly decent, um, somewhat catchy jam. I think so. I think the lyrics are okay on this one too. Yeah. I don't really have any problems with them. I think they're all, it's not like they start off really great and then like dip down, right. go off the rail. I don't think this song goes off the rails no, really. No, well, yeah. Towards the end, it gets a little Jason Razzie. Yeah, that's true. Which is weird. And I don't love the the scatting. There's a little bit of like some skibbity bops yes, going true. on I that I don't that. love. But, but for the most part, like the structure, the production, instrumentation, pretty solid. Yeah. I you know, this is a solid song. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really have any problems with it. And it's a it's a uh emotionally, it's like a lift. For the album the you've got kind of some of the bonkers songs like the day by day and like it love it need it but then you've also got some like kind of heavier like weightier tracks and this one like picks up and it's like airy and the just even the concept of being in the light like it kind of it lifts uh the listener which is nice for you know yeah. being so far down in the track list it's pretty nice to have a lighter track yeah definitely Okay, so all right, so I just found out too. Uh, so this song was not written by any of them. This is a Charlie Peacock song. It was featured on his 1991 album "Love Life." Mm, interesting. So it's not a DC Talk original. This is a cover. Okay, good to know. Uh, which maybe adds to a little bit why it's more kind of solid. <laughs> oh, here's the weird little like here's the reggae Jason Mraz yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. Oh. Which is a little weird, but it works. Uh, you know. I think this also ties back into the Tarzan Phil Collins thing. Yes. Especially those but those like maybe, high harmony vocals. I think that's kind of yeah, reminiscent of the Phil Collins. But I wonder too if since this is a, like a cover why this is one song that I don't feel really goes off the rails. It feels pretty solid. Yeah. Start to finish like it feels a lot more cohesive yes. than a lot of the other songs do. For sure. Structurally it's it it sticks together better. The outro is way too long. Yeah. Though. Just all these songs. The song's over at four minutes, and it still has another minute of just in the light. light. Just in way too long. <laughs> way too long. Yeah. All right, that's all I got on that one. I think. Same. All right, moving right on to track number eleven. What have we become? We're almost done. We're almost done. We're almost done. We're so close. I love that this starts with an ebo. That's that like that guitar that yep. 
that's like, I love that. I love Ebo. I will always listen to an Ebo intro on a song. Yep. Those... Uh, there's more organ. Did I have I talked about the organ? You talked about the organ. Yeah, a little, little bit. But they have organ in like almost every song. They love them some they organ. They like that organ, man. They're church boys for sure. Dude, this song is so intense. It is heavy lyrically. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I could not get past that, to be honest. Um, like, they're Why? they're like what about painting it? some tragic pictures, um, tell, telling some sad tales, yeah. and like, yeah, I don't know if they're like based on real events or if it's like just they wanted to kind of go on a little story journey with the listener, and they were they like came up with this stuff fictionally, but um, yeah, this idea of like a preacher shunning somebody for. Uh, an interracial marriage that's super weird yeah but here's the thing i i think i think it could have worked my problem is i don't think the music does justice to those lyrics right it's and that's something i've i've actually written about my kind of overall feeling about this album is a lot of times the um and it could be like because my ears are are like 2020 ears and not 1995 ears. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of times the lyrical content does not line up with like the sonic atmosphere that it's in. Right. Oh, cause that's what, cause I wrote musically. (laughs) Hey guys, red hot chili peppers called. They want their B side back. Yep. Yep. That's not wrong. Yeah. But like the second verse then like basically this girl overhears her parents talking about how they regret having her. She was a mistake and Yeah, it's pretty intense. And then she overdoses on Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. It is heavy, man. And like it's like I don't know. I get the you know, like the shock value concept, like, oh, we really want to like hit home and like you know, like drive this point home, but I just, it's, it seems like abusive to the listener almost. And I don't know, like I can see. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's very much like Sarah McLaughlin, ASPCA commercial. Right. Like, yeah. Puppies crying. A little manipulative. Oh, also did Toby Mac without coming up with YOLO, did he come up with YOLO? Cause he says, you just live once. Like two or three times. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I think <laughs> so. This song. Yeah, I don't know, man. I was I was just stuck in the in the doldrums lyrically on this one, so I had a hard time analyzing it musically, to be honest. Yeah. Well, I just that's the thing. I I think I had to kind of tune out the lyrics. So I was listening to musically. It goes on way too long. Why is there a, there's a flute? Oh yeah. At the end. Yeah, where did that come There's from? There's a flute. Like, what? Where? Where the? Why? I just. It just feels like they just threw everything at the wall yes, to see what would stick, and they decided it all did. Yeah, yeah. I will say though, at the very, very end, there's that like call and response gospel, the kind of like spiritual thing. So yeah, good. That like that was really I was good, into that. but it didn't fit with this song no. though. That's the thing. It. None of it fits together. Not at all. It's all just kind of all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, that was man, what a song. <laughs>
Yeah, all right. I think that's all I got. Once again, this is way, 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 way too yep. long. Six minutes is way too long for Gosh, this, I think. So long. Because really, they only have like those two real verses. Right. And then a bridge, and then it just kind of like goes on and on yeah. and on and on. And, and again, on. that's a trend for their their structural songwriting. Um, so many songs are that way, where there's like a couple of verses at the beginning, and so there's a dynamic shift from the chorus to the verse to the chorus to the verse. But then after that, it's really just a lot of jamming. Yep. Too much jamming, especially because they're not like a band. Right. They're not a jam band. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like They're not the Grateful Dead. They're not. Because like, they're, they're, they're just, they're three vocalists. Right. They started as a hip hop group. Like, I feel like doing the really long jams and stuff is not, yeah. not really. It, it doesn't what, serve their talents. Yeah, it does not. All right, so let's move on. Track number 12, Mind's Eye. So yeah, this is... Could ostensibly be like the last real track, track on the yeah, album for sure yeah the, i was getting so tired at this point my notes are basically this has a very euro trash intro <laughs> it could have been on the matrix soundtrack if the matrix came out in 1995 and it's too long yep yeah all valid critiques i wrote um toby's consonants are very hot in the mix and it's annoying yeah there's that part where they like cut to the like the sample like the the preacher or somebody saying have you ever seen him i've never seen the wind but i see the effects of the wind right i remember as a kid thinking like oh that's deep and i right, really liking right. that idea and i think i decided i still like that concept like it's very poetic and very like inspiring but like it again feels kind of heavy-handed like a lot of a lot of the other things that we've mentioned listening back to it yeah there's a there's some cringeworthy lyrics toward the end where they say we can ride the storm endure the pain you comfort me in my hurricane and I'll never be alone again. Again. Like, are we Shakespeare? Uh, like, what's what's happening here? Yeah. I will say, though, that the, like, kind of the, that tag, like, in my mind's eye, in my mind's eye, is, like, yeah. really catchy. It is really catchy. And so, like, I think this goes down on the short list of, like, catchy jams on the album for me. Definitely. I agree. So, Yeah. All in all, decent, if taken at face value, decent jam. Yeah. I got I got not much for it. It's way too long. Yeah. It's way too it long, is. especially for what's ostensibly the last track of the album. Yeah. Well, and honestly, it bothers me even more that it's that it's long because there's another, like, quote-unquote secret track. Right. I think right. I'd be okay with it, like, just going and going and going if it was the actual last track. Actual, right. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, like, take your time with it. Like, usher us out gently, like... But then it's like, yeah. uh, it's sort of like Return of the King, you know, like mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings yeah. just like, oh, ha- like how many fake and endings an ending. are yeah. there going to be? Yeah, this exactly. Album? Exactly. So. Oh, yeah. And then there's that weird rap part in the middle, which I mean, just, yeah, well, I think that's all I got for that one. Yeah. So Alas, My Love, last track. Alas, my love, you say goodbye. Wipe the poison from my brow. 
Alas, my love, this guilty night Gives me up like a foster child And in this moment I take my vow These angels sleeping at my feet I thought it was cool that they started the track with the same as the intro yeah, to the album. I wrote a riff so nice they used it twice. <laughs> I think that that's like a cool idea like of like it. the bookends. Yeah. But then you have two minutes of silence. Yeah. Which which do you remember when the secret track was yes. like the thing? Yeah, this brought me back. Like having to wait for it. Yeah. I waited. I didn't yeah. skip ahead because you, you can you can skip ahead, but I didn't. I, I just I, I skipped ahead. I kind of sat in the tension and um it kind of brought me back to like what it was like to uh, on a CD, like to just yeah, sit you just kind of had to wait and wait, but yeah. yeah, there it there it comes, you know, two minutes in, and yeah, there's some there's some weird stuff going on on this because it's a poem, right, written by Kevin, I think, mm-hmm. uh, and some some lines that that I thought were very strange or like jarring were wipe the poison from my brow. Why is there poison on your mm-hmm. brow? Because this sounds cool and artistic. What? Poems. Don't you usually like eat poison if you're gonna? Anyway, and then um, something about uh, gives me up like a foster child. That, yeah, I yeah. can't. I can't abide that. Like, I don't. I don't like yeah. it. Yeah, I kind of tuned that out a little bit. I was just like, oh, okay. And I did, yeah. And then uh, he he wrestled till morning with human souls and dark angels. Those are some weird visuals. Definitely, yeah. like, paints a picture. Yeah. I I don't know. Do you know why they wanted, like, can you figure out a reason why they would want to include this on the album? The only thing I can I can think of is that maybe they're like, well, we sang a lot and we jammed a lot, and maybe we've, like, numbed our listeners so much that they need just, like, some direct poetry. <laughs> to like yeah. pound a message home i don't know yeah not that that's a good oh, reason yeah, i yeah. i i'm 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 pretty lost honestly yeah me too also i thought the guitar the combination of the guitar and the vocals it was really hard for me to like really pay attention to what he was saying because the vibe i felt was like it felt like a flight of the concord song <laughs> oh man like it felt like those parts and like Jermaine would just be like talking really low. Yeah. While there's like a little bit of guitar playing in the background. Right. Now that you've said that. Like the verses. I'll only hear it that way. Like yeah. that's all I'll be able to hear now. It's Fly to the Concords. Right. All right. So we did it. We did it. We did it. Uh, we went through Jesus Freak by DC Talk. So now it comes down to this. What are your, what are your final thoughts on this record? Like what... What do you think going through it? What are your thoughts? Yeah. So I guess I'd say my final thoughts are everything DC Talk does is a mood. Like they go. It's a vibe as the kids yes, say. Yes, it's a vibe, man. It's a mood. They go 110% into whatever they're doing. And that both, somehow that both lands as a pro and a con for me. Um, I right. think there are times where because they they go so like heavily into whatever they're doing, like it, it can really help certain aspects shine, like the bass work and like, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of like, especially like Michael Tate's vocals, like there are some really cool moments throughout this album where his vocals just like pop and I love it. 
Um, Definitely. Also, some of those weirder, like, artistic musical choices that you mentioned, um, you know, they're going all in. So you, you, you witness it. Like, they're not... They're not kind of dancing around it. They're doing it. Um, and I like that. I respect that. I thought across the album, there were some solid harmony lines, which were really interesting. You know, I applaud them for taking some weird steps with instruments that you wouldn't normally hear on like a kind of hip hop, like gospel rock, rock album. Well, okay. See, but here's, here's kind of, I think that ultimately becomes my problem with the record is I felt like, they weren't confident in the direction that they wanted to go. I think they had a lot of breakout success within the Christian music world. Right. And then it felt like there were all these sort of subgenres of Christian music that were starting to branch off. Right. And I think rather than like sticking with a specific vision of what they wanted to be, this felt like a band or group kind of, putting everything out there yeah. like there's so many different genres yeah. like but like we said before like like not to the point where it feels on purpose like it feels not cowardly but it just feels like we're just trying to cover our yeah. bases it feels very like corporate like yes it, it oh feels- so we'll try to appeal to like the older worship crowd will appear to like the rock and roll and then the hip-hop and the pop punk yeah and the acoustic and like yeah. It's just some weird mishmash that is not cohesive in any way. Not not remotely. And it feels I think the word that I that I land on is it feels desperate. Like it feels like yeah. they're just like, "Oh, no, we're still relevant to this, yeah. you know, demographic it's like, oh, no, and no, no, this you demographic. like this? Oh, you like this? We're, we're going to try this." Yeah, exactly. Oh, you didn't like that rap rock track? Like what about this really chill Jason Mrazy acoustic worship jam? Right. Yeah. yeah. And I wrote that as well as a con like as a as a downside that like they just didn't yeah. know how to stick to a certain type of genre or instrumentation or even lyrical right. feel like they they a lot of the lyrical um t- tone across the album just jumps it goes from like super heavy to really like mm-hmm. over the top goofy to just, just sounding like a 9 year old wrote it like yeah, yeah to just like rhymes that don't make any sense and and I wondered I asked like is this just the way of the nineties? And I wondered like what you thought about that. Like, is, is this something that we're critical of? We're being critical of DC talk, but actually maybe it's just like what happened in the nineties. I don't know. No, no. I, I think, I think it is specifically a, I I think there was a huge cultural shift in terms of Christian music Mm -hmm. at that time. And like I said, I think there was a big like splintering of these different subgenres. Right. And it feels more like, it feels very much the way that like, okay, now they make a Transformers movie to be a four quadrant movie. And you include things that are going to appeal to Chinese audiences. And so you kind of, and then you, ones that appeal to American audiences and old and young. And so you kind of dumb everything down and tone everything down to be able to reach as wide an audience as possible, which apparently it did, right? you know? This was a massive record. Got 16 on the Billboard charts, you know, like, so it worked to a certain extent, but it doesn't feel artistic. It feels more like a, like a corporate decision to make and promote this record. With like major hodgepodge moments of just like, oh, we'll get these guys in here and they'll write these songs for you. And then you'll put a flute on this one. (laughs) Yeah, like it doesn't feel like a band that is like really trying to like 
say something that is important to them. Right. Yeah, it feels like they were able to say about half of what they would have if maybe left yeah. to their own creative. So I'm curious though too. I'm curious of how much of that sort of contributed to them breaking up a couple of years later. Right. Like, I mean, because at this time, like when this album came out, they did become the biggest Christian band Massive. of all time. Yeah. You know, right. like but I don't know, yeah. man. I don't know. So was it a flop or a bop? Oh man. I'm gonna say overall, it was it was pretty much a flop with a couple minor bops. Yeah. Overall a flop, but like still you know, like a mainstay in Christian music culture and even like mainstream music culture for a hot second in, in the mid 90s. So like, yeah, if you look at it that way, like it had some aspects of boppery, but it was mostly a flop. Right. <laughs> right. Well, I think that's the way we got to look at it, though. I think I think we can take out that. But I think we ultimately got to decide, is it a flop or a bop, man? Yeah. And I'm saying it's a flop. I, I think I think it's. I'm going with the I flop. I think overall man. it's a flop. It does not hold <laughs> up. It is not anything like I remembered. I think I'm also conflating this with Supernatural because I remember the the track Supernatural mm-hmm. had that kind of Jesus freak vibe, that like minor heavy rock kind of thing. Right. And for some reason, I imagine this album had more of that. Right. But even if it didn't, you know, I th- I think we gave it a fair shake. I think we we're as objective as we could be. I mean, I was because I didn't remember over half of it. Yeah. It just felt all over the place. It just did not. It definitely was. (laughs) It was everywhere, man. Yeah. 